Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Rogue Report Extra podcast. Um, today, because we have no match this week, we're going to be discussing Jack Ross's time at Sunderland and giving it a little bit of an overview with Sky Sports' very own red and white flag bearer, Tom White. How are you doing? Are you well? I'm very well, thank you. Always well. Always well. You are. You're a very positive man. I am. I wasn't feeling so positive after that Lincoln game. I don't think the uh, rest of the fans were either. It wasn't a particularly nice atmosphere, was it? But we'll be all right. Good day though, wasn't it? It was a good day out. I'll give it oh, that. Every away day is good. Unless unless it's unless it's at St. James's Park and we lose, and it's been a while. It's been a long time. Away that. day is always fun. <laughs> it's been a long time that, mate. So obviously before we go through uh, Jack's time in charge, I suppose my first question would be, you know, what was your take on his dismissal? And obviously recent performances were certainly not reflective of a team who were aiming for promotion, but did you find the timing a little bit odd? I think the the timing actually to me made made sense just because it was an international break. The thing that kind of confused me a little bit is that we don't know what's going on with this potential takeover. And I was kind of thought to myself, right, well, if a takeover happens, they probably will change the manager. If not, they'll probably keep Jack Ross. So the the fact there's an international break and we're a quarter of the way through the season, that timing made sense. In terms of actually sacking Jack Ross, I'm quite, I'm quite boring with most managers. I always think it's the wrong decision to sack them. Most of the time, I think that they should be given longer. Even going back to Peter Reid, I don't think we would have, we should have sacked Peter Reid. I actually think we would have stayed up if we hadn't sacked him. Um, a little bit different with Howard Wilkinson. Uh, I must admit, I actually thought when we sacked Mick McCarthy, he would have got us back up, even though we were going down. Um, Poyet, I thought we could have kept him for for longer, given him the the summer. I think he would have kept us up. Same with same with. I wasn't sure about Advocat. It was his decision, I suppose. But even Martin O'Neill, I would have given until the end of the season. It's very rare that I think a manager should go so early. So in that sense, I would have kept him for a little bit longer. But I do completely understand the timing and that atmosphere on Saturday. I can see why the owners thought. We have to make a change. Going back to when you know Jack was first arrived at Sunderland, we had pretty much plummeted to depth 
I don't think many of us thought were possible. He'd inherited a threadbare squad with a 40 million wage bill, padded out with under-23s. The likes of Paddy McNair, Joel DeSore didn't really bother coming back. And those that did return had just endured two of the most memorable seasons in the club's history. Do you think it's easy to forget how big of a job Jack had to deal with, tasked with not only getting us promoted, but also changing the entire culture around the stadium and the academy? Yeah, I think he, he did a good job of that no doubt at all and after when we lost the playoff final in my mind there was no way at all that we should have got rid of him then we were absolutely right to uh, to keep him I know that we wanted to go back back up straight away but he did have one heck of a job now other managers in it, other managers have inherited a similar mess uh, not just at Sunderland but other clubs and still managed to to achieve everything that was set out by the owners for them and not going up was a disappointment, but he definitely deserves a lot of credit for what he did. The, on the other side, every manager, and I speak to loads of managers, whether they're in work or out of work, they all say that they need three transfer windows to get the squad how they want it to be. Now, I'll defend Jack Ross again. Because of the mess he inherited, I actually think that he probably needed even more than three transfer windows. Because the first one, there was... Remember, there were players like... Gillibodji and Endong were still there when he came. Lamine Kone, although he actually turned up to training at least, we know that there were players on far too much for League One, in fairness, far too much for the championship in Catamore and Oviedo, and they played their part, they played more than their part, they were very good. But he had to find a way of still keeping them in without annoying the rest of the squad who were on maybe a 20th of what they were getting paid. So I actually think he should have been afforded, he, he, he could easily, there's definitely an argument to say he could have been afforded another transfer window, maybe neither, even another one on top of that, because that kind of three transfer windows rule is a little bit too few considering what he inherited. Yeah, I, I actually would agree with that. I think it's the first one, it was basically, there were some signings that didn't work out um, or haven't worked out so far, you know, the likes of Jack Baldwin and Maybe Tom Flanagan, you could say that, but it, he, he had no one there, really. I think it was 12, 13 players when he started. Um, I quite like Baldwin. You know, I, I actually actually quite like Baldwin. He, and, and I really wanted us to sign him. Yeah, so, same, actually. So when, when he came, I was really happy about that. I don't think he was anywhere near as bad as being, as being made out. And Tom Flanagan, he, he does... Yeah. Sunderland fans, we... I don't know what some people see this as positive, some people see this as negative, but we really love players who work hard and give their all for the club. Tom Flanagan does do that. So I wouldn't even say his he hasn't worked out. I think Flanagan has done a decent job for a player who came in for nothing and not that much was expected of him. I think he came in and the idea was for him to be a squad player. Yeah. The fact that he's ended up being a first teamer actually is, is credit to him forced his way into the team and keeping in, in it, um, staying in the starting lineup for so long last season so I don't think he's really failed and Baldwin I honestly think was decent I, I would have kept him he was, he was given a bit of harsh treatment wasn't he I mean he was in that, that game against Coventry both him and Flanagan didn't exactly paint themselves in glory but Flanagan got a chance to to redeem himself a little from that and, and there can be an argument whether, whether he has or not but Baldwin was never seen again really yeah, I, I don't really know what what the reason what the reason was for that, but in the end, the decision to bring Ozturk back in ended up being a good one. Yeah, because he did definitely. really well at the end of last season. I think he was uh, 
he was a bit un- unlucky to lose his place this season as well. Absolutely. Um, I, I personally, I've got to be honest and say, I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's it's no secret that I'm very pro this person that I'm going to mention. But a lot of people feel that the first mistake of Ross's tenure was appointing George Honeyman as captain. What were your thoughts on Honeyman as a captain, maybe when he started and, and throughout his time at Sunderland as captain? Well, the ob- when he came, when Jack Ross came in, there was one obvious captain, and that was Lee Catamole. He was yeah. he was already captain, really, even though he hadn't been officially club captain for for a lot of years because O'Shea took it off him when he was when he was getting all those red cards earlier on under, in his career under Steve Bruce. It eventually went to to John O'Shea and and then to Honeyman last summer. But I think Catamole had Jack Ross known that Catamole was not leaving last summer, it would have. I think he, he would have just gone to Lee Catamull yeah. for the reason of you're a natural captain, you are a leader anyway, whether you've got the armband or not, and you're getting paid a fortune. So if we make you captain, there's a bit more responsibility because we're paying you so much, you should have more responsibility. And the fact that nobody knew whether Catamull was still going to be there or not because of his wages, Jack Ross was left with the option of a lot of new players. I don't think he would have wanted it given to a a player who was new to the club. He needed someone who knew the club inside out and also had a fair few amount of games under his belt. And George Honeyman, being from the North East, having been at the club since, well, I don't know if it was early teens or maybe even even earlier than that. Since he was 10. And he he played a little bit in... Since he was 10, well, exactly. Then he played a little bit in the Premier League. I think he played more minutes than everyone else in the Championship. He did, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think that with uncertainty over Catamol last summer, I think Honeyman was was the right person to give it to. If I'd been Jack Ross, I would have given it to him as well. And he was a good ambassador for the club. He was he came across well in interviews. There were times when I think that maybe he could have done with a little spell out of the side. And because he was captain, your captain tends to be picked which is understandable. That's maybe the only criticism of it, but I had no problem with him being captain whatsoever. I do think it would have been Catamol if Jack Ross had known that he was staying. Do you ever think, and I suppose this is my own thoughts, but I always felt like the only issue I really had with George Honeyman was I didn't know really what his position was, but that wasn't his fault. I think, and, and it was really evident in the playoff final that when Max Power got injured... Honeyman went, he started in the number 10 and then he brought on Lewis Morgan. So you want him to drop deeper, but it seemed that George didn't really know if he should be a deep midfielder, a number 10 or a box to box. And sometimes that would cause him to look invisible, even though he was doing a lot of hard work. I personally thought he was better deeper. And I think that more of a a mistake of of, uh, Jack Ross wasn't so much giving him the captaincy. It was not nailing down a position and training him in that a little bit like he's doing with Luke O'Neill, who's playing like three positions in one game. How does a player settle with that? Yeah, well, well Honeyman also was playing on the wing under under Simon Grayson. Yeah, um, and 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 that playoff finally was he was on that right hand side a lot until the injury came, and and then obviously Morgan went there. But if you look at the formation that Jack Ross was playing last season. You could most of the time see it as a, a four-two-three-one, right? Now in that number ten role, you had either Honeyman, or in our best spell of the season, you had Chris Maguire yeah. playing just off. Well, it was Madger at the time. Now I would argue that neither of those are a four-two-three-one because when you put Maguire 
in that role. So on the team sheet, it might be spelled out as Maguire behind Madger. I actually think that Maguire played up front with Madger, and actually it was a 4-4-2. The wingers' jobs didn't change. The wingers still had to get up and down regardless. There was two midfielders who, who sat, and, and I think Maguire was actually up front with Madger, so it was more like a 4-4-2. If Maguire was either on the bench, injured, suspended, or on the wing, and Honeyman played at number 10, I don't think that was a 4-2-3-1 either. I think it was a 4-3-3 in the old... Allardyce and and Poyet kind of way because Honeyman again on the team sheet he might be behind whoever the striker is but realistically he sits deeper so if he's there with Catamolan Power or Catamolan McGeoch whoever it is Honeyman drops in and it's a three in midfield as opposed to a number 10 I think all of last season even though it was spelt out as a 4-2-3-1 I actually don't think we ever played it because there was no natural number 10. Most people aren't a natural number 10. Yeah. Um, but, but I think Maguire played the striker and Honeyman played deeper. And that, when, when you play, when you're trying to stay in the Premier League under Allardyce and Poyet, that 4-3-3, or even 4-5-1 you could call it, with three uh, central midfielders, with definite central midfielders, not particularly attacking, trying to survive in the Premier League, that, that's perfect, that works. Trying to get promoted from League One you either need a second striker or someone to play off the striker. And that's why it worked when Maguire played there, up front, basically up front. When Honeyman sat, it was too defensive for us to make a 1-0 into a 2-0. Because our 1-0s, as you know, ended up in 1-1 too often. Far ultimately, too often. that cost us. So I think that was the, that was the problem. His, his natural game wasn't to push forward, it was to come back. Talking about strikers and you know who played where, I think one of the big one of the big issues Jack came up against was in the striker search. I think originally we were linked with the bloke from Hibs, uh, Florian Camberry, who's gone Florian on Camberry, well. yeah. Um, we were very, very close to signing Lyle Taylor, though, and Taylor later claimed that he would have signed for Jack Ross, and I say this in, in inverted commas, but the powers that would be were ridiculously stubborn. Um, in the end. Taylor signed for Charlton for less wages, went on to score 25 goals and provided 12 assists. Um, we will never really know the, the true story. It'll be he said, she said a lot of the time. But do you feel that Jack Gross was hamstrung by the, ham, the the recruitment team, maybe wheeling and dealing a little bit too much? Well, I, I don't know whether they were wheeling and dealing, but really, it, it, if they are being a little bit, if the recruitment team and the owners are being a little bit kind of tight, a bit stingy with the wages, good, because we've had it for so long where we've overspent. We've said, oh, you, you don't really want to come to Sunderland, do you? Oh, I'll tell you what, we'll give you more. And, they, and players have signed and they, their hearts haven't been in it. So actually, I see it as a positive if we are trying to keep the wage bill down yeah. and, be, and, and kind of counting every penny, because we should be, because we are in League One, and actually, even if we go higher, that it should still be the policy. So I don't mind that. But definitely, Lyle Taylor would have made a big difference because he is, I think he's a really, really good player. Uh, Florin Camberry, I wasn't too fussed about him, if I'm honest. Um, but the, the one thing that I've noticed ever since Jack Ross has come in, and it's something that I said I did a, an interview with 
SAFC TV at the end of the season. And I said, I, I know that, that you've said for a long time that we need pace and power. Yeah. To me, the power is a bonus. The pace is a necessity. Absolutely. It used to be that at the champ- a championship level, for a striker or winger, pace was almost enough. Now, the championship has really improved in quality and tactically. So that's maybe not the case anymore. In League One and League Two, pace is almost enough. If you are lightning fast, you are going to get chances, right? And if you get enough chances, you're going to put enough of them away. And I felt that last season, we lacked pace. And this season, we didn't actually add that much pace. Mark McNulty is nippy. I wouldn't say he's lightning. Um, last At the end of last season, we had Lewis Morgan, who was fast, but but he went. Uh, a lot of people tell me that Kaziah Sterling is fast. I don't know, because he barely played. But if he was fast, we didn't replace him with anyone with any real pace. And I still think that's been the problem. But even if you look at those strikers, Lyle Taylor isn't lightning fast. Florian Canberry certainly isn't fast. It looked like if they were the players Jack Boss was targeting, that wasn't a necessity in his mind to bring in fast players. And that's where I think we have, have really, really lacked ever since last season. If you look at the, the side, in terms of pace, McGeady's very quick off the mark, but he's not going to run away from his fullback. All right? no. He gets past his fullback with tricks. That's fine. Lyndon Gooch is pretty quick. Like I say, McNulty, McNulty is pretty quick. But when was the last time we've had a player who was absolutely lightning? I mean, maybe Patrick Van Arnholt. Yeah. He was he, he so was very, fast. very quick. And I'm sure I'm missing a few out. But since Jack Ross came in, that's what I think that we've lacked. I suppose when you look at the, the time Jack Ross had at Sunderland as well, and I know he's got his critics, but I, I honestly think if he was just fit more often and if it wasn't for all the bad luck he's had, I think Duncan Watmore being fit on a regular basis could have just given us a different... A, a different weapon, basically, to use. Um, and I think... Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I agree so with that. Speedy. He actually is someone who's lightning. He's just never um, fit. And actually, every time he comes back from injury, I think, oh, well, he'll have lost his pace. Actually, and he, never he does. hasn't lost his pace. It's just that he's obviously got... He's just very, very unlucky. Incredibly. And I think the way he plays as well, he's. it's almost the, the, the speed and the way that he runs direct. He's almost asking players to kind of tackle him. In a sense, that's the way he plays, and naturally, if he's if his bodies keep breaking down because he's keep on picking up niggles, he's probably more susceptible to a hard tackle from a midfielder for say someone like Wickham, and that's going to put him out for the end of the season. But I think if Watmore was fit, I'm not saying he's the, the oracle, but I think that certainly would have helped Jack Ross's case for needing a bit of extra pace in the team. But then on the flip side, knowing that there was no, knowing that that he was so often unfit and knowing that there wasn't much pace outside of that whoever's in charge of that recruitment if it is Jack's final answer and he gets the decision on that or it is the recruitment and they decide for him you have to ask that question if you know who's to blame for not bringing that in because it certainly would have helped his position as manager I think I'd be very surprised if Jack Ross didn't have the final say um, and I'd be surprised if Jack Ross wasn't able to say to the recruitment team uh, recruitment team I like that player. Can we go up? Can you find out how much he'll cost? Can you find out if we can afford him? I think that I think that he would have had the final say, certainly. But when I was talking about that formation there, playing 
with Honeymanabit deeper and playing a 4-3-3. If you think about that under Allardyce, now that I've had a chance to think about the pace, we were so good once Allardyce had that settled formation and team. And if you think about it, right, Yedlin and Van Arnholt were two of the quickest players in the Premier League. They were attacking from full-back. The two wingers were either Watmore and Barini or Kasri and Barini. Uh, Kasri was quite quick. Barini and Watmore, very quick. And Jermaine Defoe was certainly quick up front. Yeah. So if you're going to sit back and then counter-attack, you need pace. And a lot of the time, that's what we were lacking uh, under Ross last season. There's the kind of proof that Allardyce's team worked. But I do think that Jack Ross will have definitely been in charge of the transfers. I, I doubt that he will come out in the future and say, yeah, it was like Gus Poyet said, he wasn't signing the players. They, some of them weren't signing the players that he wanted. I think Picanio even said the same thing. I think Jack Ross probably was. I'd be very surprised if he said anything different. With the with Jack Ross in general, I think there's a few a few people have looked at kind of not so much the downfall, but the moments when it it went a bit south for him. But do you think Jack Ross ever recovered from first and foremost the loss the loss of Josh Madger and the two near misses at Wembley? I think Madger. His goals, if he'd continued at that scoring rate, yes, I think we probably would have gone up. But at the same time, I thought we'd upgraded with Will Grigg. So I can't criticise that because I agreed that we'd be better with Grigg than Madger, even though I did think that we paid a little bit too much for Grigg. And through no fault of our own, just purely because of the contract issue, we didn't get very much for Madger. But that was definitely a turning point, not having Madger's goals anymore. And, and Greg not hitting the ground running like we had hoped. The Wembley defeat in the Checker Trade Trophy, I don't think that will have affected them that much. I think they would have loved to have won the trophy there. They, they went to Wembley. When we went to Wembley against Manchester City in 2014 in the League Cup final, it was win, lose or draw. We are so happy to be here. Uh, we shouldn't beat Manchester City anyway. We're going to have a great day. Checker Trade, it was right. We're going to have a great weekend but we expect to win this. So there will have been a little bit of deflation. But wasn't it straight after that game that we went to... Wasn't our next game the away at Accrington? Accrington, yeah, on the Wednesday or Tuesday night. Because I I went to that game and we were brilliant, right? There may have been a game in between now that I think about it, but I I don't know. That game against Accrington, we were excellent. It was probably the most comfortable, apart from that game at home to Scunthorpe at the start of the season, it was probably the most comfortable that we'd been. We won 3-0. It was excellent. The The away section was in brilliant spirits. One of the best away days I've ever been to uh, away at Accrington. And that was just after we'd lost that final. So I don't think that affected us that much. But losing the playoff final was very, very deflating. I know that a lot of the fans were upset about it. Me personally, I felt that although I wanted to go up, I loved last season so as a fan I really enjoyed winning more games than we lost for the first time in well forever probably since <laughs> we last got promoted unless Steve Bruce did it in that season we finished 10th it's been so long and I, I'd enjoyed that season so much I was quite calm thinking well it's okay we'll go back up next season but I know that was a disappointment and I think his downfall of losing that game meant it put so much pressure on him at the start of this season. And that's why he's gone 
you know, a quarter of the way through it. And he, he tried his best. What he, he tried to do, he thought, right, I'm going to change the formation. And uh, let's see if that works. It didn't work. And he binned it. He, he binned it very, very early. But actually, our results improved when he binned it originally. And then we reverted to tight and started drawing and get a couple of, couple of defeats in. And, and he was gone. But I think that has all come from the pressure of losing that playoff final. Talking about pressure and things like that, and I guess it's just a question I want to ask, and you know, my, my opinions I'll, I'll keep to myself on it, but do you think that the 100-point target set by the owner was a bit of a nail in the coffin for him? Because if you look through the squad, you know, without one or two exceptions, we have got a squad who are, by and large, good League One players. Not brilliant, good. So... Was it ever like a realistic target, especially when you consider, and we've already touched on the necessary improvements that were required, that weren't made? Do you think it was always an unrealistic target? I remember wincing a bit when I heard it. It was it was on it was on your podcast. Wasn't it was. It? it was me that asked the question. <laughs> I, I remember it, and I, I remember wincing again. Oh, that is that's a big total for a, for a team who who actually, to be honest, unfortunately. Only finished fifth last season. Yeah. Saying you want to go to 100 points when we know we're going to lose Catamon and Oviedo uh, and possibly others, and there doesn't appear to be much money to spend, that is, that is a little bit harsh. I think saying we demand automatic promotion this season, possibly even saying we demand to be champions, I actually think most people would say, well, so we should. Yeah, fair enough. And Jack Ross would probably say, do you honestly think I'm going to aim for anything less than that? But 100 points was kind of not just like the, the icing on the cake. It's not just even a cherry on the top. I mean, it's like getting a whole new cake, getting to 100, getting to 100 points. It was a, <laughs> a little bit too much to ask, I think, to put that pressure on. Um, but I, I do think that they were well within their rights to suggest that we should be going up even as champions but certainly an automatic promotion. And that obviously could still happen. It just will be under a new manager. Yeah. Now, when I last interviewed Stuart on the podcast, I asked him, because I think even though I'm doing this podcast surrounding Jack Ross's time, I think I was quite evidently felt that he wasn't the man for the job shortly into the beginning of the season. But I asked him on that podcast and and I told him quite honestly that I wasn't a fan of Jack Ross. And I said, you know, why is Jack the right man for Sunderland? And you'll have to bear with me as I read his response, but you'll see where I'm going with it once I've read it out. But his response to the question of why is Jack Ross the right man or why should I believe he's the right man? He said, for a number of reasons, he has been successful before. When you analyze his stats, he wins more of his games in his second year of management than in his first. When you watch him and listen to the people at the club who talk about the sessions that he puts on, the training, etc., it sounds like from the people who are at the football club who know the football from seasons before, it's night and day from what it was previously. He's very engaging. I believe that the lads are with him and I think that they will get better and grow. He's hardworking, diligent. He looks at himself. He's always evaluating and trying to improve and I believe that he's not a stubborn manager that won't take views on board. He's improved players. If you ask Aidan McGeady why he wanted to stay, it was Jack Ross. Now, Aidan loves Sunderland, but he's very pro-Jack. I'm not saying that Aidan McGeady is the fountain of knowledge on all of football managers, but when you have a player of his calibre who knows Jack can get the best out of him, that's a feather in his cap. 
you can focus on things that have gone wrong and all of the negatives, or you can turn around and say, I'm aware of how difficult it is to manage players when some are earning £150,000 a week and others are earning £40,000 a week and get a unified dressing room where everyone feels together. Jack managed to get a togetherness within that squad and everyone is entitled to think that he's not the right man for the job, but I've made a judgment call that he is the right man for the long-term benefit of this football club. So that was his full quote. So since I asked the question, we've played 11 games, we've won seven of them, including superb wins over Premier League sides Burnley and Sheffield United. We've drawn two of them, and we've also lost two. What do you think has changed in Stewart's mindset to go from describing Jack as the man for the long term to relieving him of his duties in 52 days. Everything he said there, I think, I think was fair. I think he's kind of, for anyone who wanted Jack Ross to go at the end of the season, I think he's explained it perfectly why he didn't go at the end of the season. But I think that he will have always had in his mind, let's give him, but normally in the Premier League, you say, oh, judge me after 10 games. That's what, People tend to say managers in the Premier League and, and the owners will give them 10 games at the start of the season. If things haven't gone so well the season before, it's, I think that, that all that's happened is he isn't as high up the table as they would expect at this time. And they feel that they've given him enough time. But like I said at the start, I would have given him longer. I think that all that's happened is he hasn't done as well as, as they think so far. And they feel... A change is necessary. What I am surprised about the fact that they've they've let him go, and the takeover as yet hasn't happened. We have to take over with inverted commas because we don't really know what it is. I thought that if they were going to get rid of him this early, I thought they might have had somebody lined up, someone they might have spoken to, and he would agree to take the job. They think while this person is available, we need to to get him now because this person guarantees us promotion. Like what happened when Steve Bruce left, Martin O'Neill was interested in the job. And Martin O'Neill was highly sought after at the time. So Steve Bruce might have got more time if it wasn't for Martin O'Neill being available. And I thought maybe when Jack Ross went, we had something similar lined up. That clearly isn't the case because they're doing a proper interview process this time. So, it's it's a very, very fair question when you listen to those quotes from him. I just think that he expected more from him at this stage. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, yesterday, Jack did release a, a, the following statement from the League Managers Association. Um, he said, It's been an honour to have the responsibility and the privilege of managing Sunderland AFC for the past 18 months, and it is with regret that I leave my position there. I leave with my head held high in respect to the depth and the commitment and hard work my staff and I apply to the job. I offer my sincerest gratitude to all of my staff, those who I brought with me to the club, those who were already in place. Every single one of them has provided me with huge support and are not only good at their jobs, but more importantly, are fantastic people. I would like to extend my thanks to all of the players I worked with and who bought into my ideas and workings, and I will miss my relation. I will miss the relationships I built with them. To the supporters of the club, I offer my thanks for their welcome, welcoming eighteen months, and for their support since. I hope that the future brings a deserved reward for the passionate and loyal backing. And finally, I reflect upon two Wembley finals, one league defeat at the Stadium of Light, 
victories over Premier League opposition and an overall progressive record and take satisfaction from them. Furthermore, I believe that we rebuilt the spirit at the Academy of Light and under the most challenging circumstances at times. Thank you to Sunderland AFC and good luck. What's your take on his statement? Because he actually expresses his thanks to everyone at the club, but seems to stop short at thanking Stuart and Charlie. Are we are we reading too much into that? Oh, definitely, because he says everyone at the club, so they are they are in you know they are they are part of the club. So he, he is. I think he is thanking them. It's. I think it's a, a very good statement. He doesn't have any little digs in there because sometimes when a manager goes, there are a few a few digs. Um, maybe the bit at the end when he's saying, you know, I remember the two Wembley, two Wembley finals, and the getting the getting the squad together and the progressive record. But all of that is true. All of that is fair. Oh, very much. So, yeah. is, it's probably the best statement that I've. They always release them through the the LMA, the League Managers Association, yeah. and I think it's probably the the best statement from an outgoing Sunderland manager well, that, that, For that I time. can remember. Yeah. But it, it's obvious that, that he is, a, it's been very obvious that he is a good guy and yeah. certainly works his socks off, did everything he could to to get us promoted and to do a good job at the club. I think he appreciated the fact that he is at a big club. It just hasn't worked. I think it, it, it's been, his tenure has been good it needed to be, it just hasn't been perfect. And I think that statement is a good one. And like I say, I still think he's done very well, just hasn't done quite enough to keep his job and become a Sunderland legend. Because anyone who does well at Sunderland will become a Sunderland legend. Yeah. I think he's he's done well. It was He was good. He just wasn't as good as we needed him to be. But you can't deny... That was certainly in a much better place with him leaving than where we were when he came. And whether that was Definitely. as good as some people wanted. And again, I, I will be honest now, I, I didn't want him to be the manager of the club from about middle of August onwards. But I think he's a really classy bloke. I think he's got, a re- I think he'll go on and do very, very well. I think this experience that he's had at Sunderland will stand him in great stead. And some people have said he's going to go back to Scotland and that's what he'll do. I, I would not be surprised if in a couple of years' time, the experience he's had here, plus the obvious potential he has as a manager, sees him somewhere in the championship. I really wouldn't. Yeah, I, I thought I'd go as far as to say that I expect that. Yeah, actually, um, yeah, same. And you do, you, you do learn a lot from from your from your mistakes. Or well, any good manager learns a lot from their mistakes as a manager, and he he, he will look back and say, "I shouldn't have done this. I wish I'd done that," just like anybody would, and. I think he'll be better for it. I don't think he'll get a club as big as Sunderland, but he may well get a club in League One who are also challenging for promotion. And who knows, he might get a he might get a club promoted while we don't go up. You see, that could still happen, and he'll end up higher up than Sunderland, um, even though it, it's probably not going to be at, at such a big club. But I do think I think you're absolutely right. I think he will have a very very good managerial career. It's actually really sad that it's not going to be here. Yeah, no, I absolutely 100% echo those sentiments massively. Um, talking about more positive things, you know, it sometimes feels like the time Jack Ross had was a little bit negative, and it really wasn't. Um, you've got some really standout moments. You've got that last minute win at home at Charlton, one of the best of all time for me. Um, the 4-2 win over Barnsley, 9,000 fans at Blackpool. The two Trafalgar Square takeovers were absolutely fantastic, and there's been some really 
positive moments that have come out of Jack Ross's time, despite its like admittedly sad ending. But what was your personal favorite memory of his of his time in charge, or, or favorite game, if you prefer? Um, well, the, the, I, I missed the Blackpool away. I was absolutely devastated to have missed it because if I'd gone there, I would definitely uh, have said that. Um, a strange one I'm going to say because I also wasn't there was can you remember um, Boxing Day Bradford at home yes and we got uh, was it 46,000 46,000 yeah yeah and fans who couldn't go were paying for um, uh, through the academy uh, the, the foundation of light for children like to go in their place hand on a gift that? or something or something like that wasn't it and it was it was a man i think a local businessman that said he wanted to do it and i think Stuart donald yeah. then retweeted it and then charlie got behind it yeah that was fantastic actually that's a brilliant memory yeah because i i did that i couldn't go um on boxing day either and so so i, I paid for two for two adults and two children to go so it's kind of like to go as a family maybe and that was the this is not even on the pitch, so this isn't even for Jack Ross. I suppose this may be even just that the, the way the the feeling was, the atmosphere around the club was such a positive atmosphere, and we hadn't had that. We had it in little spells when we when we'd make a great escape, uh, and especially under Poirier, but also under, under Sam Allardyce as yeah. well. We had little spells where everything was great. But the club at the time, it felt like we were on track. To get promoted, we were winning on the pitch, and then off the pitch, you had fans helping other fans, and you don't get that at every club. So my favourite part of the season was actually that Bradford game at home, and then on the pitch that day, we did we did win one nil, but it was pure comedy when they clearly scored. The ball was well over the line. <laughs> John McLaughlin scooped it back, and I could see watching it on my phone that it was a goal. So right? far over the line. Tiny screen. It was so obvious it was over the line, and and it wasn't given. Meaning that actually it was pure comedy on the day, and we got three points. Amazing atmosphere. Set a record attendance for League One. So that's actually the memory that stands out. I mean, that's not much good for for Jack Ross because uh, you know he didn't <laughs> he didn't really do much about it. But some of the away days that I went to last season, the that Accrington one was brilliant. Um, and you know we won that one. As well, Gillingham away. I tell you, that stands out as an away game as well because Gillingham. Before I went there, I know a Gillingham fan. He said to me, "You do know that um, we were officially given the worst away day in the football <laughs> league." And I went, "Oh, great!" Went there on a Tuesday night. It was, I think it was August. It was August. It was scorching hot, right? So we were in that temporary stand that's been there for years and years, even though it's temporary stand with no roof, but it was absolutely beautiful. And, and we stuffed them 4-1. So in terms of on the pitch, I'm going to say that one because that's when I thought, right, this is it. Everything's coming together for us now. But for the season on a whole, it was definitely just the whole atmosphere around the club on Boxing Day last year. So I suppose just to finish on, um, as as we're currently speaking, I think we have been given permission to speak to five managers. Now, off the top of my head, I think if we're talking about given permission, we're talking about managers in work. So you've got Gareth Amesworth. Um, I think Paul Cook is potentially speaking to us. And then I can't think of who else off the top of my head. Kevin Phillips. Mark, Mark Robbins. Uh, Mark Robbins. Coventry, Coventry gave Mark Robbins a new contract. New contract. Off. So maybe that's one of them. 
Kevin Phillips is, you know, I, I know he's interested. He spoke as much. Uh, you've got Stendel as well. But um, I suppose it's a double-ended question just to finish on. I mean, first and foremost, who would you go for? Second of all, who do you think we'll get? Third of all, do you think that the chairman's looking for a manager to get us back into the championship and beyond? Or do you think they're purely looking for someone to get us out of this league? You know, if he wants to, it wants someone to get us out of this league and then get significant investment to get us up to the Premier League. There may be there may be a change of manager even if we get promoted. But I think it's always best to plan long term anyway. Yeah. And I think any I think any appointment that comes in, I think they would still get the chance in the Championship if we do if they do, and um, get us get us promoted. But but all those all of the names being linked, right? Whether they're in work or out of work. There's kind of a list of safe options and a list of exciting options. All right, exciting options. Uh, Roy Keane, but that's a risk. Yeah. Kevin Phillips, exciting, but that's a risk. risk. Safe options. Uh, Paul Cook, but he would cost uh, compensation. Um, Gareth Ainsworth would be would be quite safe as well, but not that exciting. You've kind of got one or the other. All right. Um, I would say it, it depends whether we want excitement or or, to, or, to, or just to, to be safe. But I've actually I've actually got three names that don't seem to be even linked with the job. If, if you want me to run those through those three names and why I think absolutely right. Okay, um, the first one, and this might surprise people, and people might immediately dismiss it, but I'll explain why I think it could happen if we go for him uh, is John Terry I think that I know he's in a, he's in he's in he's employed at the moment but not as a manager he wants to be a manager I'd be very surprised if he was given a chance at a Premier League club as a manager he is likely to get the chance in the championship as a manager but would it be a club as big as Sunderland even though we're in League One probably not I think he's worth a phone call. Are you interested? If he says no, no problem. I don't think we should rule out giving giving him uh, giving him a call. And if he's interested, he will instantly. Not many not many managers guarantee much. Allardyce, um, Allardyce um, guarantees that you don't get relegated. All right. I think Tony Pulis pretty much guarantees you don't get relegated from the Premier League. All right. I think that John Terry does guarantee an upturn in results because if he walked in that dressing room every player is going to be like crikey yeah the standards there Terry. very much so All right? yeah. just like Roy Keane did when he came in in the championship yeah. I get on board with that. hope get that. that we've at least tried and like I say if he says not interested fair enough he is in the Premier League even though it's not as a manager he's in the Premier League at Villa and things are quite exciting there so fair enough right but I think we should try the second one who hasn't been mentioned is Craig Shakespeare. He's out of work. He is an excellent coach. And also, he has the ear of Sam Allardyce if he wants advice. He's out of work. Why not speak to him? Why not interview him? See how he comes across. And his, in terms of being a manager, his experience is limited. In terms of being a coach and assistant manager, loads of experience he's been briefly at England with Sam Allardyce he's been at a big club like Everton he has managed Leicester yeah. and was 
very unfortunate to lose his job. Yeah, he letter. was actually. And he is out of work, and he's been out of work for a long time now. Would he consider it, especially if there's there's a long term vision for him? All right, and and tell you what, it would help us if we've got some other nice helping him out as well. By the oh, way, oh yes, <laughs> even just off, off the record. So I'm, throw, I'm gonna, so there's John Terry and Craig Shakespeare. I, I know a few people might be listening to this thinking, "All right, they're fair shouts." My third shout, I don't think I'll get a lot of love for it. It's someone who, it was my first choice when Simon Grayson got the job, right? So if I wanted him, when our aim was to get promoted back to the Premier League from the Championship, how can I rule him out when here we are trying to get back to the Championship from League One? And that's Paul Heckingbottom. I said when Grayson got it that he should get it. I wanted him to get it before Chris Coleman got it, even though I was happy with, with Chris Coleman at, um, getting it at the time. Heckingbottom's in a job at the moment at Hibs. Things aren't going that well for him at the moment, which doesn't help his cause, I know. But it does help our cause in terms of he might be interested because he might be fearing losing his job at Hibs uh, in the first place. I, I think they are one the last, last one or two, which has helped things out for him. But I love him. And th- th- my reason is, before people get annoyed with me, I meet a lot of managers in work and out of work. And some of them I sit and chat to off air. Yeah. I think, how on earth were you ever a manager? Right? Like, you don't even know half the players. Like, like you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Paul Heckingbottom, chatting to him, I just sat and listened. He was brilliant. Really, really impressive. Right? He does know the club, albeit only he was at, at the club as a, as a kid. I'm not sure if he made a first-team appearance, but he was a decent left-back. It didn't help him that he had Mickey Gray ahead of him at left-back. But really, really impressed with him. Really hard-working, completely focused on football. Excellent record in the transfer market when he was at Barnsley, by the way. And he probably regrets leaving Barnsley for Leeds because Leeds fans just weren't having him. And eventually, he was binned for Marcelo Bielsa. That part's fair enough. I really, really like him. And although it wouldn't be an exciting appointment for the fans, I can assure you that this guy knows what he's doing. He's not my friend or anything. I'm not trying to help a friend out. I've not spoken to him since he got the Hibs job. I've only ever spoken to him through work. But he was really impressive. And I would like him to be considered as well. But there's, I've kind of given, of, of all the names everyone's talking about, it, it's too easy to keep talking about those and give my opinion on those. But those three from left field... I would really hope they were at least at least talking to them. Tom, it's been really, really nice catching up and kind of covering over um, Jack Russell's time, both the positives, the negatives, and then talking about the future moving forward as well. But I'm sure we'll be seeing you around um, away days and hopefully back at the stadium alight. Um, but thanks for joining yes. us, Tom. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. I absolutely love the away days. The, the home games are going, my dad. They're, they're great and everything, but we're purely there for the football. The away days... It's just a great day out. Full day, isn't it? Time. And I owe you two pints. Yeah. I'll let you off. I owe you I'll two. let you off. <laughs> well, you know where I'm at, mate, but thanks for joining us, all right? Pleasure. Thank you, as always, to our guest today, which is Tom White. Uh, thanks to everyone listening, and thanks, of course, to Sunderland University, uh, which is where we record the show from. Have a good rest of the week.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 